Hi, I'm Julie. And I'm Liz. We are business owners turned podcasters. This show gives you the permission and tools to create your courageous second act. We call this the Afterglow. Welcome to the Afterglow. Today, we are so thrilled and honored to have Tiffany Pratt on our show. Tiffany Pratt is a designer, artist, author, speaker, podcaster, collaborator, and maker. She is on HGTV, has designed her own furniture collection with Silva. She does her Love Jam podcast, written a book called This Can Be Beautiful, and oh, so much more. She is always bright and shiny, playful, vibrant, and inspiring. With her signature pink hair and love of all things color, she brings her divine goddess magic to everything she touches. Wow. I'm awesome. excited you're here, Tiffany. Thank you so much. It's very, it's a, it was an honor when you reached out and you said you wanted to speak with me. I'm like, not only is it just women supporting women, but you guys, this is our, our hood is such a beautiful place to support. And it's good to, you know, the local goddess group. It's amazing. We feel that way. We're quite lucky where we live. Yeah. And um, Julie and I were talking before the podcast and we know one of the things you do like us is think a lot about, you know, the energy you're in and the energy you're bringing in and are you feeling grounded and connected and are you open to leading us in a little grounding exercise now? Absolutely. Amazing. Well, um, what I always do sometimes before I sort of talk, of course, that's open to these kind of things is always preaching the power of the two hands because when you're making or you're designing or you're doing, so you always have to use your two hands. So you have options to be in prayer, to connect and put your prayer, your prayer hands in front of your heart. Um, but my most recent favorite one is to hold my heart with my right hand and my belly with my left and close your eyes and when we connect with our hearts and our bellies we know our truth and when we can get quiet and still enough within ourselves to know what that feels like we'll always be on the correct path so before we get started we'll just take a deep breath through our nose and we'll hold the energy at the top and before we release we're just going to let that air travel down through our hearts and into our bellies so that our hearts and our bellies can connect. So here we go, let's let it go through our nose. Two more times. Holding that breath at the top. Letting it out. And one more time, this time hold a little bit longer if you can. And still with your eyes closed, just maintain the stillness inside of your heart and your belly, knowing that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what's going on, you know who you are and you know your truth and you know where to go, which is inside. There we go. And so we begin. Amazing. You're hired at Afterglow. (laughs) (laughs) My natural default position is to actually hold my breath or not breathe. It's to not breathe, actually. And surprisingly, that makes you anxious. Your body does not like that when you don't take in air. That moment of breathing deeply, again, always resets me. So I think it's so honest and real that you would say that because, you know, having a yoga studio, you you have this, people have this premeditated notion that like, oh, well, I'm always so centered and I'm always so breathing and I'm always so perfect. But I think when we um, omit 
the perfection in what we do, we can become real and we can connect. And I think that's such a big thing because I do it too. And that's why breathing is so important to me because I can feel when I've gotten into the doing and the external so much that I forgot to go inside and go, okay, hold on. How do I actually feel? Am I breathing? What's going on? And it doesn't matter what you do. That's the cool thing. You could be in any type of job. You can do anything for a living. But if you're not connected to that, then you're kind of screwed. Uh, listening to you speak, it just makes me want to just take that deep breath and just feel that grounding. And I, you know, you're so centered with it. So thank you for that. You speak about how there's this sort of misconception about yoga studio owners um, needing to be and having all that Zen. And uh, it's similar to uh, like a lot of women like myself suffer from imposter syndrome. So I have that and I question things and yeah, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart enough. Um, and we stop ourselves from pursuing our dreams. Yep. Right. But you, you are self-taught. You are self-made. We've checked you out. We've done the research. We know that a lot of the decisions that you made were uh, intuition based. And so did you ever feel that? Did you ever, do you ever now, or did you ever feel that imposter syndrome? You know, I've felt a lot of things, but that wouldn't be one of them for me. When people perceive you as very complete, they think, when did this happen? You know, when did this completeness happen? And, and how long has this person been so, you know, whatever the perception is, there, there's so many, you know, adjectives, but the thing I preach the most outside of, of art and color is always that when you know what makes you happy, it's not external stuff, like truly the things that light you up. You don't need to feel like you're an imposter or you're doing anything wrong because you're being true to yourself. And effectively, you're being true to your soul because your soul's here to do a mission. So we're all wearing these interesting little pieces of art around our soul. But when we connect with that part inside of ourselves that knows why we're here and the gifts that we are here to share, that medicine becomes far more important than what we think others think of us. I, I think at a really young age, I, I had a really tough childhood. And what I had to do for myself as a self-soothing is I had to figure out what I needed to feel okay. And so in my childhood, I realized that when I reached for my things that I could do with my hands, my being quieted. And then I realized that this is something I needed to do all the time. And it wasn't like, I wasn't even in the double digits. And I was coloring and painting and I needed to do it because it gave me sanity. And then as I got older, I discovered fashion television and Jeannie Becker and she would go into all these people's studios and I would see all these really wild creative designer people and I would, all of a sudden I realized, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, I get it. I'm one of them. I'm one of those people that have to harness this creative field that has to flow through me to feel connected and okay and do something with this in the world. And so I'm able to put words to it now, but as a child, it was an understanding that this is who I was. So I didn't have, um, you know, family members or anybody in my, you know, direct circle that could really foster this weird thing that I needed to do. But I just kept seeking it out, even on my own, and it saved me. So I... I let that become the driving force of the choices I made in my life. So I don't feel like an imposter because it's all I've ever done. 
What do you feel comfortable sharing about your childhood? What made it a difficult childhood? Oh, well, my father passed when I was very young. I was seven. And then my mom was, uh, my father was Canadian. My mom's American. So my mom stayed in Canada as a landed immigrant um, and just kind of had to throw herself into working a thousand jobs while contending with her own demons and her own serious addictive issues. Um, and so instead of having a parent, I had a child and I had to parent my mother. It's like this agony and this ecstasy with my mother because she is an incredible human. And as an adult now, I can witness her humanness and I can see how hard she worked to work through her stuff. But to be under that as a child was, it's, it was grueling. It was grueling because effectively you're alone. You're parenting yourself. You have to do everything. And I did have to do everything myself. So I wouldn't change it because if I didn't have to become wildly independent at a ridiculously young age and figure out what I needed to be okay, I probably wouldn't have my own business. I probably wouldn't do the things I'm doing because it would probably scare the shit out of most, most people what I'm under. But I had to teach myself how to have a schedule and eat at a certain time and get my homework done. I didn't have a parent to say like, you know, do your laundry and, you know, do this right and study. I just, I had to do it myself. I had to be a self-starter right out of the gate. So, so a lot of people who might have been in the same situation as you might have gone in the other direction, right? Yep. Might not have survived it or um, persevered or, or come out of it with this tenacity that you have and the, um, the sort of the strength of self that you have. I mean, is this one of the reasons that you call yourself a grandmother now? You, you, you're, you're like, you know, taking care of everybody. What, what is it that differentiates you to come? Was there some sort of foundation for you that helped you come out of that and survive it and excel? I think um, we, are, we are born intact. You know, we are born, our souls are we come here intact. And so when we get in touch with that soul, I, I feel lucky my mom, because of her deep struggles with herself and her life and her, her addictions and how she couldn't get out from underneath it. I think she really cast a wide net of how to find peace and she still struggles. And I was already tapping into spirituality when I was, you know, I, I don't even think I was a teenager and I already sort of had this feeling like, there's something more. And my father passed of a brain tumor. And when he passed of cancer, um, it was just, it devastated our whole family. And it really alienated us from his side of the family. But what happened when I was, I've always had these migraines. And so what happened when I was 13 is I too was diagnosed with a brain tumor. They found something in my brain. So I was like, I got this real, I got this real shot of of mortality at a young age. I got this real shot of like, hey, I know what happened to my dad and he's not here anymore and I'm not that old and I may not have a lot of time. So I got to get to it. If I don't have cancer and this thing can stay in there, you know, we'll see how long it's going to let me do what I need to do. Then let's do something with this life. And so I think, you know, I'm one of three sisters and all three of us have taken a very different road. And how we've each synthesized our lives and how we've each dealt with the information is very different. So I don't think that it's, 
um, anything we're taught. It's everything that we have that we have to just kind of look within. So I think I just, I really have stayed within most of my life to decide, you know, if this is all I've got, then I've got to work with it because I want to give this life a shot. So when you're faced with those big things at a very young age, you don't really, you don't want to abuse your body. You don't want to do drugs and party and do and drink and eat the crappy food and think the crappy thoughts because you know how special your life is. You don't do this because, you know, you feel like you have to. You don't treat yourself with love and kindness because you have to. You treat yourself with love and kindness because this vessel is a gift and we're, we only get one shot and we don't know how long we got. And it sounds very sad, but actually it's very joyful. And that's how I choose to live. So it's nothing that just comes with the factory model. You know, you have to work every day to choose, okay, what do I need that's going to help me feel better today? How am I going to make this day work for me? How am I going to turn this boat around? Because this life is filled with ups and downs and tragedies and upsets and, and, it's not about what's going to happen to us in this life because things will happen. It's about how we synthesize that information, how we let it define us and how we let it burn through our bodies and release it so we can keep forward to doing what we're here to do. It's, as you're speaking, um, it's, you have somehow been able to take early adversity. It's like you took challenge and adversity, you put it into this magic creative sparkly box and then outside of it has come this purpose and this vision you know we came across something you had written yourself recently we believe self-written bio and just the first few words of it were so compelling you said i feel like a fairy godmother my joy is to sprinkle possibilities everywhere i go into everything i do and elevate the world to a more beautiful place i didn't hear anything about a living room or a bedroom in there you're, you're about so much more than beautifying people's homes. It, yeah. it seems like you have a broader vision or purpose. Does that resonate at all? And if, if so, oh, what hundred percent. Like I started to do spaces because it was just another way to do art. You know, it wasn't that I thought of myself as an interior designer because I've always just been a creator. Um, and so what becomes widely acceptable is what people will label you as. So you do a couple living rooms and you could do a couple great big spaces and then magically you're labeled as an interior designer. And it's interesting because what I found when I did the work, we would always come to a beautiful end. We would always have a great space at the end. But to me, the work was less about how it would look because I knew it would look good. I have an eye. I know what looks nice. I have a certain style, but it's the journey. And it's for people to understand that if it's your photo shoot that I do that we're art directing, if it's a TV show, if it's an object, if it's a piece of furniture, if it's a room, if it's a restaurant, it doesn't really matter. Is that it's all the level playing field of remembering that the things we have around us are energy and that we have the ability to shift and change energy based on the possibilities we allow them to have. So we can look at the sofa and say, oh, I'm over it. I hate it. I've had it for so long. I want a whole new look in here. No problem. But maybe we use that sofa somewhere else and we recover it. It's really not about the objects themselves. It's the energy that we infuse in them. So I think I have, um, even as of lately, realized that a lot of the work I keep getting called back to do is less and less about interiors because I feel like my work is becoming larger. 
it's not just about finding someone's dining room table anymore. Although that taught me and these people quite a lot. I think I'm on my career shifting. Hmm. Your, your talk about energy. I mean, you are talking our language, right? We are all about the energy, um, you know, the breath, the connection to the spirit, all of that. And so you spoke earlier just about having had that really early on, but I know I heard you speak at some point about visiting an ashram and it was like a pivotal moment for you in your life. So where did this like love of intense meditation and connection to spirit and energy come from for you? Was it at the ashram or, or, or earlier? I think it was when I was, I was, it hit me the most. You're going to laugh. So when my dad was sick, we would always go into these health food stores. You know, that smell of a health food store Mm -hmm. in the eighties, you know, these health food stores in that way was not a way, but my mother was, you know, she was always going for the alternative. And then when I got sick, uh, she started taking me to all these herbalists and iridologists. And so I got really into this different world, this metaphysical world when I was sick as a child. So, you know, before I was a teenager and I remember either my mother or one of these healers gave me a shirt and it said earth angel on the front and it had wings on the back. And I remember (laughs) getting this t-shirt and it was less about feeling proud, but all of a sudden it was like, okay, that's what I got to do. So it was understanding that it was less about, uh, you know, a connection to how I looked. It was more about, uh, like I knew spirit was, I knew spirit was available to me. That's the, that's, and it's not religious at all. I'm not religious at all. I just, I know based on the work I've done and the things I've done in my life, that spirit is available at all times. You talk about connection with spirit and, um, how that's something that I think fuels your creativity. How do you stay connected to that? I mean, even that practice you did at the beginning with us, you said, go inside, feel the truth inside. So this idea of staying connected to our truth, my personal experience is that life will do its best to take you away from that. I don't know if that ever, if anyone else feels that way, but it feels like constantly being pulled away from the truth of who I am. So how do you stay connected to that inner truth, that um, divine spirit, which is, um, I believe, a, a source of creativity for you? I've had to dig around to figuring out how I can remain clear, how I can stay that open channel and things. And as I've gotten older and as the demands are higher and as my schedule gets crazier, my practice has really morphed and grown and grown and changed. So currently uh, I do transcendental meditation TM twice a day, 20 minutes, morning and afternoon. I went to that almost two years ago because um, it's, I had always wanted to know more about it, but I went to one of their, their early talks about what it does. And for me, quiet time, I'm not even going to list it as meditation because often what people think meditation is, is not what meditation is, but I needed more space. And what I mean is space in here. I needed more space inside of myself to feel like I could let things flow through because in the external, the busier you get, the more demands get put on you. And you get so busy in this external stuff that you just described as pulling you away from the truth or who you are, that I knew I needed more space in here so that no matter what was going on over here, I could just get in the middle and find the space to continue to pull through what I needed to pull through over here. 
I also do, Sadhguru does his own uh, hybrid meditation, like a kundalini type 20 minutes. Um, and sometimes I sub that in. On my very full days, I'll do 20 minutes TM and then 20 minutes of Sadhguru breathing and then Om chanting and, you know, really whoosh, clearing that out. Morning Pages by Julia Cameron, The Artist's Way. I cannot tell anybody in this life how transformative writing out consciousness that flows through you, specifically earlier in the day, how it clears your mind. And then I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't watch TV. I don't have anything. No TV, no TV, no TV. ever. None. Ever. Don't even own one. I was a child. My mother bought me a TV and I never turned it on. I just don't resonate with that busyness. I need something else. So I might have my place set up for energy. It's books, it's paint, it's plants, it's my dog, it's things that I know is real, you know? And that if I need to go back to center, my center isn't external. My center isn't TV. My center is inside. So I get really quiet and I just you know, burn as much as I can. And I just sit quietly, salt baths, um, green juice. You've got like a self care regime. That's just like your every single day. You just have incorporated into your every single day. I think you that's so powerful, especially, uh, when you're running your own business and you are an entrepreneur and you're creating constantly. I love how you're talking about that creating space for yourself, but also how you, you, um, and, and our listeners can't see this when you were doing your quiet time to create the space, you were taking up more space in your body for women. A lot of us have been taught to feel small and, and take up less space. Mm -hmm. And so I love that idea of going into your quiet time to reconnect with yourself, but also, bring more space into it. What was the messaging for you around, you know, masculine, feminine, uh, the social conditioning for you? Were you ever in that little box? Abs everyone's in the box. We, we choose how we want to get out of the box. I'm not, I'm not exempt from anything, but I think what um, has created my current exemption is uh, I am an unable to um to be told what to do i'm gonna have pink hair even if it's not corporate i'm gonna dress and wear all the weird shit that i want to wear i'm gonna say what i think even if it's not appropriate at a round table i'm gonna want to hug everybody in the room i'm gonna bring treats if i so decide uh i may scratch the whole fucker and start again but it's not because i'm trying to prove a point it's because I'm trying to be who I am. Mm. And so when you're really courageous in your, in your belief in, your, in what you're here to do, it's not about, you know, the flash or, you know, trying to be some, no, I'm not doing any of this because I'm trying, I, this is who I am. I love color. Color is life energy. I wear things that artists make because it, it's their work and I'm supporting them. Everything has purpose. So when you continually show up and you never give up, you never give up on your spiritual practice, you never give up on your way of being, you never give up on the choices you've made and you stay consistent, eventually you become exempt because people know this is who she is. You know, I've had to go into corporate environments and really force, 
you know, I've made some waves and I haven't always been everyone's best friend, but I've established deep connective relationships that over the course of time, people know you can count on that girl. You know, she shows up, she does the job, she kicks ass, she takes names. She always gives us what she wants, you know, whatever she needs, just do it because her heart's in the right place. So because what people have created currently in the workplace or out in the world with masculine and feminine energies and women do this and men do that and girls are here and boys do that. It's bullshit. I mean, when I've had to learn how to work with contractors and big money guys and investors and I mean, you name it, I've run up against them and they love to look at me and have an idea of who they think I am based off of how I look and how I act. But when I know my stuff and I have an answer and I come prepared and I don't take their shit and I still stick to my guns and I am tenacious, this all goes away. And then I become a force not to be reckoned with. And so when people can see you've done all your homework and you're smart and you're, and you're there for the right reasons, all this masculine, feminine bullshit goes away and it just becomes pull, pure Shakti energy. You know, we're dealing full Shakti, life form. You know, we've taken our masculine or feminine and we're just working through the center. Yeah, we need uh, more balanced energy for sure on yeah. this planet. And I think things like, as you say, you know, creativity, self-expression, we're, we're moving, you know, the industrial revolution was not about creativity. It was about, you know, factory, you get in line, you do this, you follow rules, you know, you sit at your desk, you listen to what the teacher tells you. That was the mentality. They needed people who could just listen and be robots, basically. And now as we're moving into a new economy or unbreaking of the current one, whatever is happening. Um, this idea of being able to question things and express who you truly are, is, are the skills I believe we need to move forward, but they're difficult for people, right? We've been trained, all of us to, you know, sit and fit in the box, you know, and yes. now what we need is to question the box and get the hell out of it. And so how do we invite people into that and i guess to get, make it really specific in terms of the work the awesome incredible inspiring work you do how do you encourage people to express themselves through design whether it's you know adding in that funky piece in their bedroom or you know wearing julie just dyed her blue hair her hair blue the edges yes, right like a little bit of fun and color and funk and glitter how do you inspire people i i'll tell you why i love this question because the answer isn't what you think it is I think everyone's looking for like this very quick uh, hot tips, you know, hot tips. And then we're going to get there and ABC will equal D. But the truth is the best way we can heal ourselves from fitting into boxes and feeling like we have to um, be that way and to break out and to access ourselves is actually to do all the things that we're not doing, which is to stop looking at other people and to stop comparing ourselves to others. Stop looking at magazines and how other people decorate. Stop looking at how other people dress. If you didn't see what everybody else did, what would you do? So I often ask that as a great starting point to bringing design or art or creativity or color into your life, is that if you didn't have an opportunity to look around, get on social media, get on websites, go into your neighbor's house, if you didn't have a neighborhood filled with lemmings of people all trying to do the same thing. You know, how would you live? What would you do? What would make you happy? And so when you have those deeper conversations, it's a fascinating experience to see what comes out. 
Because there's so many people that say, you know, I wouldn't have a couch. I never even use it. I want a ping pong table. Or, you know what, my, my whole life's work is to do these collage mirrors. And I don't have a place. The point is, is that when we stop looking around, we can start looking inside. And then inside, we can actually close our eyes eventually and see the colors that kind of start rolling through our minds that are happening around us. And we go, oh, like Julie, I like blue. I like, I want to see blue around me. I want blue on me. I need blue hair. I need to see blue. I need to live by the water. You know, I wanted to create a poster that says colors, not just for kids. Playtime isn't just for kids. You know, I, I having taught children, having pink hair, having a very playful spirit, I think people think that I am like a child and it happens quite a bit where people say to me, oh, my daughter's just like you. And I'm like, no, 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 you are just like me, as is your daughter, as is your son, as is your husband, we are all the same. You just think because I'm playful that I'm like your daughter. But you could, we could all learn from your daughter. And that's why I loved being around children because they have natural instinct. They have this natural flow that comes through them before we start squishing things down. It's honesty. It's truth. It's knowing that themselves be true, like it's inside them. So working with kids was never anything I ever thought I'd ever do in my life because I started in fashion. I thought working with kids was at that point just blasphemy. And once I started it, it wasn't that working with children was my life's work and that I was obsessed with children. Quite opposite. I looked at them all as like little Buddhas and I kind of turned it around like, I need to learn them. I need to understand this part of the spirit. My medicine to anyone wanting to do something in design is to stop looking around and figure out what makes you happy and what brings you joy by watching things that maybe are out of the ordinary and saying to hell with it anyways and just doing it. Well, and you commented also on asking different questions, right? Like we're not just going to ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or yeah. like, what's your favorite color necessarily, right? Even the color is important, but it's like, how are you feeling in your heart right now? What yeah. makes your spirit soar, right? You're getting into those just more um, inspiring questions that will, will spark that creativity. When I think of you, I think of that Casey Musgraves song, Follow Your Arrow. I don't know if you know that song, but if you don't, you have to listen to it. It's Follow Your Arrow wherever it points. And so I'm just, I'm so inspired by you not giving a shit about what other people think, embracing who you are, and then taking that to the next level and to the next level and to the next level. And so you started this podcast, Love Jam. You are taking your essence, your everything, and putting it into this podcast and sharing it with the world. Tell us about why you created Love Jam. Why do you want to spread love? You know, it's funny. The Love Jam started as a, it was, it started a year and a half before the, two years before the podcast actually happened. And it was because I had an onslaught of people emailing me and wanting to get together for coffees. And it was like, I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you. And I had a list of about 50 people that all wanted to sit in a room and talk to me. And I was like, oh God, I can't go out for 50 coffees. Because I went to, the Misfit Yoga Studio is closed now, but it was on Queen West and it was in the church. And I called Amber and I said, I need your studio 
um, when it's closed because I have a bunch of people that want to talk to me and I just need a space for about two hours. So we just filled the place up with yoga mats and I called it, um, I just said to the people, I made a joke. I just said, listen, everyone wants to get together. I, I blind copied everyone. I'm going to love jam with everyone on the floor of this. And I just called it the love jam. And uh, one of the ladies who works at Delta Boston Canada had done a lot of work with me uh, with events. So we were familiar with each other and she was planning on coming to that love jam that day. And um, she saw what had happened that day and how we shifted. And I made connections with people and, I spent two hours with pure strangers just having them fire questions at me and trying to help them and introduce them to people. And there was groups of people that all ended up connecting that day and going off and doing work together. And, and, uh, and so she said to me, listen, you know, you have something to share and we want to get into other things of doing this. And I really think you should look into doing a podcast. And she said, I'm not going to tell you what to do with it. Just, I really want you to do a podcast and here's some seed money to do it. So I was like, oh shit, you know, like. Yeah, you can't say um, no to that. <laughs> no, when someone believes in you and throws some cash your way and says, you know, go, go spread your message. I was like, okay, here we go. And so um, my best friend up the street, Coco, he and I, we've known each other for 12 years we dated 12 years ago. We've turned into family. We raise a dog together. We work together. We've kind of created our own family. And uh, he was a previous Juno award winner and mixes music and has all that equipment. And so I said, Coco, I know you haven't done anything like this before, but would you consider doing a recording, a podcast? And he was like, no way. I'm out. I'm not doing it. And then, uh, like two months later, once I had the cash, I was like, listen, I got money in my hand and I'm going to hire someone to do it with me because I got to get recording. Are you in or are you out? And like the proper tech nerd that he is, he went out and got all the equipment and set the whole thing up. And I tented off his whole studio with sheets because I needed to bring the sound in. And I put all my pillows on the floor and I just sat there for the first time he got the recording in and he said, okay, he calls me Scooby. He's like, okay, Scooby, sit down. Let's check the sound. And that day I remember sitting on the floor with Poppy on my lap, like I'm sitting right now. And all of a sudden my very first podcast just came out. I just sat there and endlessly spoke for 40 minutes or whatever. And I decided just to keep calling it the love jam because I didn't want it to be something that put a lid on a topic about design or about, I just wanted people to come in and talk about the things that they loved and how they brought love into what they did because love is the most powerful emotion we could ever feel. And that if anybody of any age, of any genre, of any type of interest could listen to a love jam and feel love and feel like they could be a brighter, happier version of themselves, then I was doing part of the work I was supposed to do in the world. Beautiful. Amazing. I mean, I think, you know, it's one of the lessons we're learning now is just uh, the power of love and that we need love, right? I feel like sometimes we feel like we've been starved of love. Yeah, everyone, everyone has. Um, we're curious about your shift from Glitter Pie to Tiffany Pratt. Mm. That seems like a big, you know, as Julie said earlier, a, a taking up of space in the mm -hmm. world. Was that a big shift for you? It was super... Um it was always very scary to be known as yourself when you're creating. Uh, so when I started Glitter Pie, I was just hiding behind it. Each time I did Glitter Pie and its different incarnations, each time I did it, both of those worlds crumbled. 
and then um, I remember talking to my graphic designer who'd been with me since she incepted the logo of Litter Pie. We were sitting at Fresh. She, I was like, I need a logo. I need something. I'm doing like freelance work for people. And she's like, Tiff, just call it Tiffany Pratt. Just Tiffany Pratt Design. And I, rem I wrote my current logo. Nice. I wrote my name on a napkin in Fresh with a Sharpie from my purse. And she turned it. She made that logo. And that was just sort of how it went. It wasn't like I decided I will become this thing. I just was like, I have no money. I don't have time for her to make me a logo. I needed to just start becoming something that people would even remotely respect as a person to hire as a contractor, a hired gun for creative projects. And then all of a sudden, boom, you know, eight years later, it's like, you're on fire. Yeah. But it wasn't, an, I, I'm not saying I'm on fire, but I'm saying it just, it became, it became uh, bigger than me. It spread. It's well, yeah. you, you are on fire. Let's just yeah. let it be known. You're with your fiery, gorgeous pink hair, but you're, you're doing amazing things. Another thing that you have done is written a book called This Can Be Beautiful. And it is an extension of you in all of its creativity. It is one of the most beautiful books I've seen. And so why was it important for you to write it? What, what prompted you to write this book, create this book? I, it, was, it was around the same time that I went from Glitter Pie to Tiffany. And uh, I didn't have a lot of cash. Um, and I was always being hired with these crappy budgets to make just magic out of nothing. I started to just think about how every time I had opened up a DIY book, it, DIY book, it was always take this perfect thing that you buy from this perfect store and then cut it this very perfect way. And then it's going to look like this halfway through. And then once it's done, it's going to look like this. And as creatives, you know, we are inherently perfectionists because we have this thing in our minds that we want to make sure when it comes to pass, it looks like this thing in our mind. So when a book actually makes you feel imperfect, when you go through all these steps and all these stages and you create this thing and it doesn't look like what's in the book, you kind of feel like you're, you're, you feel like defeated. That's what Pinterest does to me. Right. A lot. <laughs> so I wanted a book where it was basically just saying to people, you're a creative person. You have toilet paper rolls. You have all this stuff in your house. And no matter what you have, this can be beautiful. And just look around because it's all really at your fingertips. And everyone can be creative. A hundred percent. And I, I purposely, like, the, it's shot beautifully, but my projects, like, they're kind of janky in some cases. Like, cardboard janky cards and stuff. Like, I purposefully wanted it to look janks. Because I didn't want people to think my stuff was so perfect because the punchline is not that it looked perfect. It was shot beautifully, but projects were kind of janky. And it's, I kind of wanted people to say like, I can do one better on that bitch. Like I can do it so much better than that. Because that's what I want. I wanted people to be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, it's a seed. You had said you're shifting into other things mm -hmm. in your work. What are you shifting into? I feel it coming. I don't, I don't know. I can't really tell you uh, how it looks yet. I just can feel, I can just feel it. I, I feel like 
just what we're talking about is really where it's going because this life is a patchwork quilt, right? Like we, we all just, each day we're just cutting a little square and we're adding it to the quilt. And I've done all these little things that have, you know, created this quilt so far. But um, now I feel like I have to look at all the pieces assembled at this time and say, okay, uh, I need it to, I want this part of the pattern to look a little different. Because I've made it look like that so far, but now it's time to, I'm ready for a little change. And I think what it is, is I'm turning 40 this summer. Ooh. And I, I want the next stage of my life to make real, important, positive impact on as many people as I can. Well, I'm glad that you told us your age because we really feel like uh, talking about our age as women is very important. Yeah. And owning and embracing our age and our wisdom is a gift. Yep. So where does your inspiration come from? You mentioned that Jeannie Becker was um, an inspiration for you really early on. And so who and what inspires you? You know, fashion has always inspired me. I love fashion so much and it's, uh, you know, going to those bougie magazine stores and getting the like the Paris runway report. I've always loved fashion um, to see how things get put together because fashion translates into to art and can translate into interiors, can translate into so much. Because I think uh, like the way we put ourselves together and what we choose to wear is a visual assembly. And that visual assembly is sort of a message that we're, putting out into the world. And so to me, fashion has always been more than just like, oh, I'm just going to put this t-shirt on. Like I, I, it's like, I can't even fucking help myself when I get dressed in the morning. Like I always have to mess it up somehow, but color, just color, nature, like, oh my goodness, right now with just seeing things happening. I'm a, uh, I remember hearing this uh, quote and I would, I should find out who said it, but it's, is the artist the observer or is the observer the artist? Because looking like really looking at everything teaches me so much like if you look at lines of buildings or like how paint mixes when it's been layered over time I love traveling to look at again it's just looking for me it's just my eyes need to look at things old books libraries like I just I think my food is really just looking so time space looking traveling I got excited just thinking about all the creativity that could happen if, you know, more of us took more moments to just look up from our devices and uh, look around, you know, at, at what's out there. I got excited thinking about all the creativity that could happen. We were on your website and we saw your, um, your awesome team on there and noticed that they all have a spirit animal, except I don't think you had one on there. So what's your spirit animal? My first one that always comes up is a peacock because I think I do feel a lot like the peacock, which is when I'm resting or when I'm not doing what I do, I'm very, I'm bird. But then when I have to go out into the world and do my thing, I have to put all the plumes up, but I don't always, I don't walk around all the time with the plumes up, you know, and then unicorn, unicorn. But because now why unicorn? I think unicorn is because the part of me does believe that there are things outside of ourselves that we are available to that we don't allow ourselves a chance to see. And so people don't think unicorns really exist. And so it's that part of me that wants to believe that the things that I believe don't exist exist. 
um, wiener dog, of course, always a wiener dog, because I have only had wiener dogs my whole life. So I do think a part of me is a wiener dog. Like it's I quite think, the mix. It's quite the mix visually, the three yeah. of them together. <laughs> yeah, so far, there's so many more, but also, oh, and Ganesh, of course. My mm. man Ganesh. I think yeah. there's a there's a Ganesha in me, a remover of obstacles. I really relate. Ganesha and I have a, he's my homeboy. Mm, yeah, if Ganesha's in your heart, then that would definitely enable you to keep pushing forward and moving forward the way that you constantly do. You have so much wisdom and, in, and inspiration. Um, and I believe that, you know, not only for women, for women our age or women in their second act, but for young girls, you know, you say that you've worked with children and that they, they really hold the essence of the innocence and the doors are just wide open for them. So when you think about your younger self, we like to ask the, the question, what would you say to your 15-year-old self? If I'm going to be very true to like where I'm at in this moment, in this very second, I wouldn't have been able to change anything. So to be able to tip off my 15-year-old self or say anything to her would have meant changing something. And I don't think I would change anything because even though she was going through a hard time at 15, even though she was facing a lot of things that a 15-year-old shouldn't have been facing, she needed to see those things to be who she is today. And so I would say I just want to let her be and just say that I love her. Beautiful. I'm curious, kind of a, this is a random question, but everything you speak about is about the spiritual life um, and really practicing the spiritual life and what you do here on earth. And I'm curious about your view on money. <laughs> money is just a difficult topic, I think, um, for, my, for women, or at least for me, it was, yeah. you know, and yeah. so many of us are raised with, uh, we don't either don't talk about money or money's bad or, you know, we should all have tons of money, whatever it is. And so I'm just curious, how do you reconcile your spirituality with, mm -hmm. with money? It's energy, just like everything else, just like your sofa, just like your dog, just like your everything is energy. So I had to get to that realization um, mostly when I became Tiffany Pratt, working for myself, um, because I was basically putting a monetary value on me, which was very hard to do early days. Like, you know, I, I worked for free more than I'd like to have said I worked for free. I've struggled a lot with it. I've done shitty things with money. I've given away more than I should have. I've been too generous in times when I should have kept some for myself. And I, all I can say as far as money is concerned now is I look at it like I look at everything else, is that it's energy and it's my time and it's something that I want to give openly to others and I want to get paid properly in return. Have leveled the playing field on fees so no matter what I'm doing, I get paid the exact same thing so that I don't choose one thing over another and that it all becomes just what I'm interested in spending my time with at that time. Not I'm going to do this because I'm making more money. I'm going to do this because I want to do this. I'm giving myself the choice by leveling the financial playing field. You've done a fair bit of charity work too on your, on your website. You have to, you have to give because if you don't give up your time, you don't give up your money, you don't give up your spirit, you don't help others. It's not going to come flowing back to you. 
Well, so, you've been so giving and generous with us today, and this is going to come back to you. Good things are going to happen to you for, for your generosity and your kindness. It's, it's incredible. Really, you have just given us so much wisdom. I wanted to ask, just to, to finish things off here, do you have any final, you know, I know there's not like quick fixes or quick tips, but advice or offerings for other female or male creatives out there looking to go into business? Um, I think the best thing to do always is to follow the nudge of what you feel you need to do in your life. Because no matter what we choose, it's never going to be easy if we're self-employed or not. We just have to make a choice. And then the choice itself will show up for us. So if you're a creative person and you want to go into work for yourself, I think it's a challenge that you need to take and that you need to do it. The greatest sadness is hesitation because we spend so much time hesitating to do the things that we want to do, that we feel so called to do. Um, and I, if it works or if it doesn't work, that's really not the point. I want creative people always to know that they're good enough and that they, nobody is doing anything else like you. Nobody's doing anything the same. Even if it looks that way, it's not. The way you're going to do it is different from everybody else. And if you want to go out and shake that tree, fucking go out there and shake the tree. Because it's not about success and making money if you're friggin' unhappy. But if you're thrilled and you're excited and you're getting out of bed and you're, and you're doing the things, money will happen. It will show up and it will move you forward. So creative people just need to know that anything is possible. Forget what anyone's ever told you. Learn as you go. None of us have it figured out. We're all just slapping spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. What makes me any different from anybody else? Zero. I'm just as crazy as the next bitch, but I'm just going to keep shaking the tree. So I just say, get out there and shake the tree and then see what happens and try to make a difference and make people happy along the way. Amazing. Amazing. Your energy is palpable. Um, where can we find you? Where can people learn more about Tiffany Pratt? I have all the things, websites and Instagrams. And so my name, tiffanypratt.com. And then uh, all my handles, social media handles is at the Tiffany Pratt. And thank you for sending people my way. But I would love to do the same. If anyone is out there listening and knows the Afterglow babes and the studio and what's happening here and what they're giving and what they're experiencing and what they're sharing and what they're involving and, and enveloping, but just know that you giving practice to people in a place, a safe haven for people to, you know, rest their heads on their mat and be with themselves is one of the greatest gifts that you can give anybody. And I, wanted to do this podcast because I wanted to honor that work that you do and be a part of it and help promote you in any way I can. And, uh, and just say that I'm proud of you guys because you've created something so unbelievably beautiful and special and necessary and, and important. So amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you. My, Tiffany. My hand is on my heart to you and we're just going to bow to you as you did at the beginning to start this with us. Thank you so much, Tiffany Pratt. Thank you. Tiffany. Love you guys. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening in. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Afterglow podcast official 
And take a minute to leave us a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, and Google. Lift a sister up and share the afterglow with others who are seeking their courageous second act.